Well, good morning. This morning we're beginning to look at some of the words of Christmas. Four words through these next few weeks that occur more than once in the Christmas story. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize that as almighty God, you care about us. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be born and live to die for us. Lord, as we celebrate Christmas, help us never forget the incredible gift of salvation that comes through your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christmas story includes not one, but two miraculous births. Now, each and every birth that has ever occurred is a miraculous birth. But in the Christmas story, we have two births that took place that were unnatural. One is the most famous birth. The Old Testament said that a virgin will conceive and bear a son. The son will be called Emmanuel, God with us. But there is another birth that was part of the story, the birth of a man named John. We call him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, the forerunner of Christ. In Luke chapter 1, we see the story of John's birth. And the chapter ends with a prophecy given by his father, Zacharias. Zacharias, or Zachariah as some call him, and Elizabeth were cousins to Mary, but also a very important part of the Christmas story. Follow along as I read Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67. It says, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since or who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of, the, of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert until the day of his manifestation in Israel. Zacharias' prophecy teaches us much about the promises of God, the hope of salvation. But let's first step back and look at the miraculous birth itself. The miraculous birth we find beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says in verse 5 and following, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So Zacharias and Elizabeth were both Levites. Zacharias served as a priest, and they lived in a village fairly close to Jerusalem. And so with that background, we see an angel comes to visit Zacharias, and we find that beginning in verse 8. It says, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying or was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God." He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and, of the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now it was estimated that there were up to 20,000 priests in Israel at the time of Jesus. And the priests would live and work in their hometown, but two times a year, for a week each time, they would spend a week serving in the temple in Jerusalem. And while he was on one of his semi-annual temple duties, Zacharias was chosen by lot to offer incense. They would take lots and choose who had the different responsibilities, and he was chosen at this specific time in Jerusalem to offer incense. This is a very special privilege. And a priest was only allowed to perform the task one time during their lifetime. If by chance they were chosen by lot to have that special responsibility of burning incense, that would be the first and last time that they would have that privilege and that responsibility. So you can imagine what Zacharias was thinking as it was his turn to go in and to offer incense, something that he wondered if he would ever do in his lifetime as he was advanced in years, as it said earlier. And as he was preparing to go into the holy place, because we see that the, the, the altar of incense was in the holy place, Right before you go into the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies where only the high priest went one time a year. But the holy place where they would go in in the morning and the evening to offer incense. And so as he went in, it was a little different than he expected. Because as he entered the holy place to burn incense, we see that the angel Gabriel met him an amazing presence, because it says in Zacharias, feared, but not only an amazing presence of the angel, but an amazing message. Zacharias and Elizabeth were going to have a son. And not just any son, this son would be the forerunner of the long-anticipated Messiah. 
Now, the Old Testament contained prophecies concerning Christ, obviously over 300 in the Old Testament concerning the coming of Jesus Christ, but also concerning the forerunner, this person that would come to announce that the Messiah was here, the promised Messiah that the nation of Israel and truly the world was looking forward to and needed. We see one of these prophecies in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger or forerunner of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So this forerunner, the one that was coming, that was called to come and announce the coming of the Messiah... And Zacharias and Elizabeth, not only would they have a son, long after they had lost hope of having a child, but their son would be the one that would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Now Israel had waited for the Messiah, and now Gabriel was announcing his arrival, and Zacharias and Elizabeth would be part of of God's plan. It's interesting the names Zacharias and Elizabeth have powerful meanings. Zacharias means Jehovah or God has remembered. Elizabeth means God is my oath. So as you put those two names together, it tells us that God has remembered his oath, his promise that he had made. However, instead of responding with faith and joy, Zacharias responded with doubt. Look what it says in Luke 1.18. It says, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Now, it's interesting how he said it. In, in one way, he had his wits about him. He said, I'm old. My wife is well advanced in years. A kind way to say they were both past childbearing, or she was past childbearing age. And he was just old. But he doubted the message from God. He doubted that God could miraculously provide through them. And because of his response, Gabriel said that Zacharias would be mute until after the baby was born. So after the angelic appearance and the message, Zacharias still had to, to burn the incense, to, uh, to offer that incense on the altar. And what they would do is, is there would be crowds that would gather out in the courts and the, the priest that was chosen by Lot that time to go in would burn the incense, and then they would come out to those outer courts, and they would, they would give a blessing to the people, probably Numbers 6. The Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you, and it, it goes on there, that special blessing. But as Zacharias came out to, to share a blessing with the people, he couldn't speak. I'm sure they wondered, what happened? That the priest went in fine, but came out unable to speak. 
Well, after his duties, and I'm sure he tried to explain to the people, I wonder what they thought. But after his duties at the temple were done, he went back to his home to communicate the amazing promise that God had made to share that promise with his wife. She became pregnant and they had a boy. And while it was not a family name, Elizabeth and Zacharias, just like the angel told them to, named him John. And Zacharias was then given the opportunity to speak again. And that's the passage we read beginning in verse 67 after they said his name shall be John. And the people were like, why John? And Elizabeth was speaking, his name is John. There's, that's not, shouldn't he be Zacharias Jr. or at least a family name? And she was, no, his name will be John because Zacharias had said, this is what the angel told us. And he didn't say it, excuse me, he communicated it. And as soon as that happened, it says that he was able to speak again. And we see this amazing blessing. Nine months earlier, he was not able to give a blessing. But now he gave a blessing that focused on the promises of God. Now, the Old Testament contains many promises or covenants that God has given and Zacharias in his blessing of these verses points to three promises that God had made, three promises that the Israelites were familiar with. The first, the promise to David. We see that in verses 67 through 71. It says, Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. God had promised to David that the Messiah would come through his family. He would be of the, the lineage of David. And this Messiah would bring salvation. We see God's two-part work when Jesus first came to this earth to die, but knowing that once again he will come in glory to rule and reign. Jeremiah 23 contains one of the passages of the prophecy and the reminders of that promise that God gave to David. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he is called the Lord our righteousness. We know that Jesus came the first time to die, but he will come again to rule and reign. And he will provide salvation, not only for Israel, but salvation for the world. The genealogies of Matthew and Luke both show that Jesus came from the line of David. But not only do we see the promise to David, but the promise to Abraham. Beginning in verse 72 of Luke chapter 1. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. 
God promised to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. And many blessings that would go along with that nation. And several times in the book of Genesis, we see that promise, that covenant reiterated. Beginning in chapter 12, we see the promise given. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. Now, it's interesting when that promise was given, Abraham had no descendants. And he had to wonder, just like Zacharias and Elizabeth, how can this be? How can a great nation come from me or our family if we have no children? But if you remember the story from Genesis, Abraham and Sarah were blessed with a son named Isaac in their old age, Abraham being 99 and Sarah being 90. And we see the promise of this Messiah. The great nation that Abraham would have, the, the Messiah that would come from the line of David to provide salvation and give freedom and hope. The Messiah would be the ultimate fulfillment of hope and the promises of God. And we see that scene in the promise of salvation beginning in verse 76. Now Zacharias, and John is eight days old. So Zacharias is speaking to John beginning in verse 76 before he talked about this one from the line of David, which is obviously Jesus Christ the Messiah. But then I can picture him turning to the little baby and saying this beginning in verse 76. And you, child will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, that forerunner, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then verse 80 so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. In verse 76, Zacharias turns his attention to the baby and shares his responsibility as forerunner. Once again, he mentions the salvation that is possible through Christ. The salvation comes from the mercy of God and it brings hope and peace and light. So this amazing blessing that Zacharias gives, sharing the hope of salvation that not only the nation of Israel would have, but that the world will have through Jesus Christ. What are some of the lessons that we can learn from Zacharias? The first one is, don't doubt God's promises. As, as Zacharias questioned Gabriel there in the holy place standing before the altar of incense, we read Zacharias's doubt in verse 18, but we stopped right there and we see in verses 19 and 20 Gabriel's response to Zacharias's doubt. <clears throat> 
It says, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled in their own time. Zacharias, this is good news. On two fronts, your prayer that you would have a child, although you thought that prayer would have to be unanswered since you were so advanced in years, as well as Elizabeth. But I've been sent by God to say that your prayers have been answered, and you will have a son. But the amazing news doesn't stop there. Yes, the the great glory of, of having this child, but this is a child with a special responsibility, part of God's plan through history to redeem his people and and the promise of, of the Messiah, but also the forerunner. And you are going to be the father of this forerunner. And that also means that the Messiah is near. What amazing news. And Zacharias, while he saw the amazing presence of the angel as he stood there in the holy place and heard the amazing message, doubted. But you know, we can struggle with the same kinds of doubts that Zacharias doubted. The doubts that he had. We can question God. God was promising to do something that was miraculous. They had been praying for many years to have a son. And and although scripture doesn't go into detail, my guess is in recent years those prayers had diminished or probably stopped. The prayers for a child. Obviously, the window had closed. How could they have a baby at this time? But we serve a God of the miraculous. Now, I don't think any one of us at any time in our lives will be walking into the holy place and meeting the angel Gabriel. But yet God is still working in miraculous ways in our lives and in our world. But how many times do we say, God, (laughs) I don't think that's possible. Or maybe God says, I want to use you to do this special project. And you're like, God, I I don't think (laughs) I'm the one and I don't think you could do that through me. We doubt the power of God. Could and would God really do that? Now, now if we were asked, we'd say, oh, yes, he's all-powerful. But when the opportunity comes to step out and fulfill what he's called us to do, we question that power. But not only the power of God, but the timing of God. 
You know, for generations, the people had looked for the Messiah. And the promise of the Messiah actually began in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, long before the nation of Israel was even conceived, Adam and Eve were in the garden and they chose to disobey God. And as they disobeyed God, there was that relationship-breaking thing called sin that broke the relationship between God and mankind. Romans chapter 5 says, For by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, for all have sinned. But even then, as the punishments for their disobedience were given, God began to share his promise, his plan. In Genesis 3.15, speaking to the serpent, but ultimately to Satan who controlled the snake, about this one that would come that would crush Satan's head while he would wound this child's heel. The promise of the coming Messiah. And throughout the Old Testament, we see the, the story of the promise weaved throughout what took place as the nation of Israel rose and fell and, and other world powers came. But throughout the pages of the Old Testament, the continued promise of the Messiah that was coming and, and more of the things that would take place around that coming of the Messiah, including the promise of the forerunner, as we mentioned in Malachi chapter 3. But for generations, the people had waited and waited and waited. And after time, the doubts grew. And now for 400 years, God had been silent. We call them the silent years between the, the end of Malachi, the last writing of the Old Testament, in the opening of the New Testament, the coming of the Messiah. So for 400 years, there had been no sign from God that the Messiah was coming. But God is perfect in his timing. And maybe you're here this morning and there's something that you've been praying for Seeking and seeking God. But he seems to be silent. But it's interesting. It, the Apostle Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 4. It says this beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. We might be called the children of God. But it's interesting how Paul begins that there in verse 4. It says, when the fullness of time had come. You see, it was God's timing. Not Israel's timing. And I'm sure there were, there were people that were continuing the faith, but more and more gave up the hope. 
They'd been under the domination of other rulers and kingdoms for generations. First the Babylonians and then the Persians. And and Malachi ends under Persian rule. And then the Greeks came and then the Romans came. But still no Messiah, no Savior to save them. Now 400 years of silence people of Israel were wondering, what is God doing? And they didn't recognize that God was still at work. And at God's chosen time, at the perfect time, God sent his son to come to earth. Now, it's just interesting the things that they couldn't see but God was doing. So at the end of Malachi, approximately 400 years earlier, the Persians, very powerful and dominant world power, were in control. But then during that 400-year time period, the Greek Empire took the position of world power and, and the the language of Greek became a common language throughout the world. Now, other, obviously, other languages were still in use, but, but Greek was in some ways that common or even, in a sense, universal language. And then as the Romans came, they, yes, they were the dominant kingdom, but trade opened up throughout the world and, and people continued to, to go and spread out. And just think, as Jesus came and then the command at the end of, as he was preparing to go back up to heaven after the death, burial, and resurrection, we see his ascension. And what did he say? He said, go and share the gospel with the world. A gospel that 400 years earlier would have been very difficult to spread. But now, after the fullness of time, would spread much more easily. That's just one little picture of the time. We don't know why God chose that time, but it's amazing. He never makes mistakes, and and I've heard the quotes, and it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it gives an important message. God is never late, but seldom early. He's right on time. And so here is Zacharias, and he has the opportunity to be part of God's amazing plan, a plan that they'd been looking forward to for generations. And the angel shows up and says, Zacharias, you're a part. And Zacharias says, I don't think so. The doubting of God. We're challenged through the lesson from Zechariah, don't doubt his promises. But the second is this, God provides the hope of salvation. Jesus taught many very valuable lessons. He performed amazing miracles while he was on earth. But the purpose of his coming was to die, to provide salvation for all who believe. It's interesting in this prophecy, this blessing that Zacharias gives, three times he mentions salvation or being saved. 
In verse 69, he speaks of this horn of salvation coming from the house of David. Horn emphasizes victory, salvation, deliverance. We have victory in the deliverance from sin. In verse 71, we see that we'll be saved from our enemies. Again, speaking to Jewish people, but for all of us, we'll be saved from the power and the penalty of sin through the work of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 77, we see that the Messiah will provide the knowledge of salvation. And knowledge isn't just a head thing, it's an experience of salvation. Because then he goes on and says that because we will be redeemed. We will be, our penalty will be paid. And we can have that restored relationship with God through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, throughout the book of Luke, the theme of salvation is a major focus. In fact, many would consider Luke chapter 19 the, the, the fulcrum, the point of Luke, which says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus Christ came for one purpose, to die on the cross for our sins. That's why he came. To provide the greatest gift ever offered. Right before the message this morning, we sang the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And that song written from the promises, the prophecies of the Old Testament, some of which Zacharias referred to as he shared this blessing, and we see come out in the words of this familiar Christmas carol. And I'm going to read a few of the verses. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free from that line of Jesse, thine own from Satan, uh, thy, uh, and free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come thou dayspring from on high, right there from the blessing of Zacharias, the dayspring, the light, the peace, and the hope. So O come thou dayspring from on high, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come thou key of David, come. And open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path of misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. The hope of salvation made possible only because of Christmas as Jesus Christ came. And as we close... I want to challenge you with this. You know, a lot, it's good to go to church. But attending church 
doesn't provide salvation. It's great to love your neighbor, to do kind things for those around you. But acts of kindness don't provide salvation. There's only one way. And that's through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The only payment that could fully fulfill the cost of sin is the perfect sacrifice. And God himself coming to this earth is the only one that could be that perfect sacrifice. Jesus Christ came to die for you. And at Christmas time, as we think about the gifts that we're allowed to give and to receive, it brings happiness. But only the perfect gift brings salvation. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And just to respect the people around you, I'd ask you to keep your eyes closed. And I want you to think about this question. Has there been a time in my life when I have prayed and asked Jesus Christ to forgive my sins to be my Savior? Has there been that time? Where you have recognized and said, God, I am a sinner, bound for hell without the gift of salvation. So as we pray, if you've never had that time in your life, that, that time where you've prayed and asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins to be your Savior, I'd like to see that you would silently pray and ask for that forgiveness. Because what an amazing gift. A change of eternal destiny from hell due to our sin to heaven due to Christ's sacrifice. Salvation that comes through Christ. If you've never done that, simply pray and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive my sins and to be my Savior, to come into my life to be my Lord. I thank you for that sacrifice that you made, and I trust wholly in that for your forgiveness and the salvation that comes. You know, if you prayed that simple prayer, I would love to talk to you after the service and share more about what it means to have a, a journey with Christ, that relationship, beginning with the salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and then following in obedience to the Lord your Savior. So please seek me out after the service so we can talk more about that. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning... May we recognize the hope of salvation that comes through Christ. As we celebrate Christmas, may we recognize that you came for one purpose, to provide salvation for us. And we are so grateful. 
And Lord, for those here this morning or who may be watching online that that have never made that commitment, Lord, may today be the day they reach out to you. They pray and ask for your forgiveness. And for those of us who have come to that point in our lives who have asked for that forgiveness, Lord, may we live in obedience and worship of you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.